Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Harlan. Thank you for lifting up our souls to the throne of God. Oh, I don't know how your week has been, but do you know that we serve a great God? (laughs) Uh, Maybe your week wasn't all that great. Maybe it's not going to go down in the books as one to remember. Um, But when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. And that's reason enough. That's reason enough to praise the Lord. Do you have your Bibles this morning? Amen. We're going to go to the book of Acts together. We're starting a new series entitled Life on Life, the unsung secret of the early church. Part one, two, three. We're starting this week. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter two. It was read for us in our scripture reading. The book of Acts, it follows right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then, then Acts, right? Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week we celebrated the fact that Jesus is not in the tomb, but that he ever lives in heaven to make intercession for you and I. And so because of that, we have life today. We have life today and every day. And so when we start in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is kind of the sequel to the Gospels. My Bible, it says the Acts of the Apostles. But do you know what happens in Acts chapter 2? You know, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus instructs his disciples for 40 days and he ascends to heaven. The last of his instructions is wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, when you receive power, you shall be my witnesses, right? And so it, maybe, this is, maybe this is appropriate, the Acts of the Apostles, because this is the practice of the Apostles, the, the, the practice of the early church after Jesus ascends to heaven. However, I would submit that this would be more appropriately entitled, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. All right, this is the story of the Holy Spirit. This is, the Holy Spirit is the central character throughout these stories. Yes, we have names of individuals, Peter, Paul, Silas, etc., etc., and all these missionaries, and all these evangelists, and, and people that maybe we don't know very well. But in reality, these are the acts of the Holy Spirit. This month, we're going to be looking at something that is a little bit less given notice to. Because we know, we know when Pentecost happened, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we know what happened, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. This is after, remember, this is after just 10 days, 10 days of praying their hearts out, right? The disciples, the early church, they they were in the upper room for 10 days according to the beginning of chapter 2. 10 days praying. Then, The power of the Holy Spirit is poured out. Cloven tongues of fire appear above the heads of the followers of God. Peter stands up to preach. Probably not much longer than three minutes, 13 minutes. Some of you are saying, take note, Pastor Miranda. (laughs) But check this out. They're praying for 10 days, preaching for a few minutes. And according to verse 41, 3,000 souls were added to that church that day. Somewhere along the line, we've kind of mixed up methodology. We pray for a few minutes, preach for 10 days, and, well, you know the story. And this isn't to say that we've gotten things, well, uh, we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But what I want to focus on today is that we know, we know that the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit could do what was done that day. Only the Holy Spirit. That's not the secret. This month, we're exploring an unsung secret of the early church. Because I believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we know what it looked like. Peter preached. Hearts were stirred, pricked to their hearts. People repented, were baptized. So we know what it looked like on the day of Pentecost. But let me ask you a question. What happened? What did it look like? What did the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what did the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power look like the day after Pentecost and the next day? And the next day after that, what did it look like then? I would submit that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, it gives us a snippet. Take a look. Beginning in verse 42, I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly. Okay, continued steadfastly. They pressed on. They persevered in what? In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread. Amen. 
and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Do you see a picture in which self is totally taken out of the equation? It's beautiful. Verse 46, so continuing, there's this idea again, this ongoing, this, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So not just in the public sector, but in the private, in the personal. From house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And who added to the church? The Lord added to the church. The Lord added to that church, I would say, daily those who were being saved. Wow. So what, what was it? What did the Holy Spirit look like? Not just on the day of Pentecost, in which Peter preaches this powerful sermon, and thousands of souls respond. What did the Holy Spirit look like every day after that? I believe that it looked like not just the public, occasional, outstanding manifestation. It looked like the personal, everyday, routine interaction. Could it be that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just limited to the one-time evangelist who speaks powerfully and thousands respond? Could it be that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is manifest? through you, through me, in everyday interactions. Life on life. The unsung secret of the early church. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, this morning we want to dig into your word. And as we seek and study, as we look at the picture that's presented in scripture, we long not just to look and behold and be wowed by it. We long to look and be changed by it. So please, God, transform our hearts as we open up the word. We pray this in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Let everyone say, amen. Amen. All right. So this morning is part one. We're going to basically take a look in each of the weeks to come. We're going to take a look at at an individual or a group of people whose story actually tells us something about these everyday interactions. And we want to look so that not just we can say, oh yeah, that was great for them, but we want to look so we can ask ourselves, how can we follow that example, all right? So this morning, uh, I'll start with this. Let's start with a little game. We'll call this Name That Bible Hero, okay? Name That Bible Hero. And I'll just give you two simple clues, and let's see if you, you uh, you can get this one. All right. So the first clue is this. This Bible hero, this unsung Bible hero, is better known by his nickname than his real name. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, let me give you the second one that you can give me your answer. Okay, so he's better na- known by his nickname than his real name. Is this mic a little bit hot? I don't know if I'm getting a little bit of ring. So the second clue is this. Thanks, John. The second clue is this. <clears throat> Without this individual... You and I, as Gentile Christians, that is, non-Jew Christians, would not be around. Okay? Now, who do you think it is? Someone says Paul. Oh! Okay, sorry. (laughs) Someone's got this. Robert, did you have a response for me? Well, Simon Peter. Ooh, Simon Peter. Okay, yeah, that's true. Okay, so a lot of individuals who are known by names other than their actual given name. But we're going to go with this gentleman. Tyson, thanks for ding, ding, gold star. All right. So <laughs> we're talking about an, a man who is, whose nickname was Barnabas. Let's go. Let's go. Acts chapter 4. Today we're going to study his story. So this isn't the kind of, uh, you know, dig your heels deep in one particular passage and just break it down. What we're doing today is we're going to look at the story of Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. Okay, so... So, so think with me, we're just going to hold up and paint some pictures of his life, little snippets here and there, and then we're just going to kind of pull it all together to see what kind of picture we see. All right, Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4, and we're beginning in verse 36. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. The Bible says, And Joseph, who was also named 
Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it where? At the apostles' feet. Okay, okay. So here it is. His name is Joseph, but we better know him as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. By the way, just a, just a little tidbit for you to tuck away in the shelf in your mind. Encouragement. It comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. Kaleo means to call. Hello. Para means alongside. So parakaleo is to call to one side. Okay? So this is the son of parakaleo. This is the embodiment. This is someone that is known for his ability to call people alongside, and that's why they call him the son of encouragement, Barnabas. All right. So here it is, Barnabas, in verse 37, just this very simple introduction of who he is. He's a Levite from Cyprus, so he's coming, I guess his home of origin isn't necessarily, you know, Judea or Palestine. So he's got some Greek culture to him, but he's a Jew. He's a Levite of the country of Cyprus. In verse 37, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So from this little picture that we have of Joseph, better known as Barnabas, we know one thing. For some reason, he's known for being able to call people alongside. And the other thing is this. He's willing to give not just of his time, but of his resources for the kingdom of God. Okay? Again, this tells me of something that self is not part of his equation. The things that he has, he realizes that it's not his own. And he's willing to consecrate and surrender not just his heart, but all that he is to the kingdom of God. All right, so here's Joseph, Barnabas. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we pick up another story. Acts chapter 9, we have another hero of the faith. It's the story of Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus, who eventually becomes known as Paul. In Acts chapter 9, he's actually on his way to persecute Jews. I'm sorry, he's on his way to persecute Christians, Jews who have professed faith in Christ as the Messiah. And you remember, very literally, he's knocked off his high horse, okay? So Saul, he's blinded in all of this, Three days later, Ananias, uh, another fellow believer, he actually follows the counsel of God and helps this brother. And, and Saul is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice with me, something amazing happens in chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, all right, so he's back home. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to do what? He tried to join the disciples. That means he tried, like the, literally the Greek is, he tried to glue himself to the disciples. Like he was so fired up about what had happened, he just wanted to stick around. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody so enthusiastic about what you're doing, but they just want to be wherever you are. And Saul was that way. He said, you guys, you guys, let me just be with you. Let me work with you. And so he tried, keyword, tried to join the disciples. Next word, but, but, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Who's they in this story? The apostles, right? Simon Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know, the list goes on and on. They were afraid. <laughs> What's going on here? This guy was just about to kill people like us over there. He was just about to imprison them. Why is he trying to hang out with us? So one, they're afraid, and two, they're unbelieving. They don't believe his story. Now, could you imagine what would happen if Acts, you know, the book of Acts stopped right there at verse 26? That's what I'm talking, where would we be, right? Where would we be? Because at this point, this point, the Jewish Christians were just about Jewish Christians. And so they were afraid, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. And then in verse 27, praise the Lord for the next two words. But Barnabas, oh, whew. but Barnabas, the son of encouragement, watch, watch, watch. But Barnabas 
took him. That's what my Bible says. Do you have a different word there? Barnabas, say it again. Brought him. Okay, okay. So the word is actually a seizing, a laying hold of. It's used in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. When Peter is trying to walk on the water and he begins to sink, Jesus caught him, took him, brought him. So here Barnabas very literally saves Saul. He took him. He took hold of him. Verse 27, and brought him to the apostles. Now, I don't know how long it took between verse 26 and verse 27, but somewhere along the line, Barnabas is able to to grab Saul by the shoulders and and ask him, so what in the world happened to you? (laughs) You know? Maybe they're having some Jamba Juice one day, and they're just, okay, so break it down really, really. I need to take notes so that I can tell people about this. All right, So, so in verse 27, it says, and he declared to them. So Barnabas is now speaking on behalf of Saul to the apostles. He declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Here is the son of encouragement who calls Saul alongside someone who could have easily just walked off the radar screen, just been kicked off the map, so to speak. But Barnabas says, no, 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 no. Let me catch you. Let me take you. Tell me your story. And you know what happens as a result of that? In verse 29, it says, and he, that's speaking of Saul, I'm sorry, verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem. So he actually got to be with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. There's a picture of freedom. There's a picture of release there, a picture of being carefree. And in verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So here's Saul, and he's unleashed for ministry because someone named Barnabas took him alongside and said, hey, you're okay. You're okay. And let me speak on your behalf. And so, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Okay, so that's picture number two. We've got picture number one, Barnabas just kind of giving all. He's, not, he's got no concern for his own, uh, he's got no concern for his own needs. He's just really living for the other. In picture number two, he, he literally catches and saves Saul and, and is his advocate. He's the son of encouragement there. And because of that, Saul is unleashed for ministry. Picture number three. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. In picture number three, Acts chapter 11, the gospel is being spread like wildfire, okay? Apostles are hanging out in Jerusalem. It's kind of the headquarters, but there are followers of Jesus Christ who are now being dispersed, and they're going out spreading the good news. Go with me to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to go to verse 19. If you're there, say amen. Okay. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but who? Oh, interesting. Preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Verse 20, (laughs) that word keeps showing up. But, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the, what does your Bible say? Gentiles. Mine says Hellenist. Yours says Greeks. Okay, so here's, here's a picture of the early church. Yes, they're spreading, but they're spreading with some reserve. All right, they're not quite sure. They want to break beyond the known boundaries, so they're speaking only to Jews, but there are some who are so caught up by the good news that they just can't hold it to only the Jews. So in verse 20, they begin to speak to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? Oh, but verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, okay, back at home base, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So do you get the picture? They're kind of uh, on edge. They're kind of hesitant. They're not quite sure. This is something we haven't done before. Okay? They're they're, they're not quite sure that this is the direction they want to go. They're being more protective about the gospel than proclaiming the gospel here. And so, they have some questions. They have some reserve. They have hesitation. And who do they send to check it out? Barnabas. Barnabas. Son of 
encouragement. Parakaleo. Barnabas goes, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. He's not murmuring. He's not complaining. He's not, oh, oh let me, oh my, let me get some video footage of this. Now, he's not, he's, he's overjoyed that people are turning to the Lord Jesus because that's his ultimate priority. So he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. So he's interested in them not just having a one-time experience, but being established in the Lord. He's encouraging that. He's encouraging people to become established, rooted, grounded disciples of Christ. All right, verse 24. For he was a good man. Oh, I like this a lot. All right. For he was a good man, full of what? The Holy Spirit and of faith. Do you realize that it takes faith to take a Saul and turn him into a Paul? <laughs> Do you realize it takes faith to go into boundaries, to territories that you're not quite sure what you're going to expect, but to anticipate that God's going to meet you there? And so he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is a beautiful picture. But the story gets better in this little part in Antioch. Notice what happens in verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek who? Barnabas is thinking to himself, there's something radical going on here. You know who would be perfect to continue the work here? Saul. The one who knows what it's like to be kind of cast out on the edges, but then unleashed for ministry. And so he gets salt and says, hey, let me paracaleo you into this. And in verse 26, it says, and when he found him, he brought him. There's that word again. He brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians where? <sighs> they were first called Christians there. Amen. They talked Christ. They lived Christ. Yeah. They breathed Christ. Because for a whole year, son of encouragement, the one who parakaleoed, and the one whom he parakaleoed, they both dug roots and stood there for a whole year, establishing converts to become radical disciples. Life on life. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And so here we have these three pictures so far, but there's a fourth. There's a fourth. Go to the end of chapter 12 and into chapter 13. At the end of chapter 12, it says this, chapter 12, verse 25. Are you there? All right, all right. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. I love this picture of co-laboring together, all right? Not this lone ranger, not, not a solo show, but Barnabas and Saul, they had fulfilled their ministry. Notice the end of verse 25. And they also took with them John whose surname was Mark. Do you know who this character is? John Mark, who eventually wrote the Gospel of Mark. Okay, so Barnabas and Saul, they take this young man. We don't have time to go into a full biography of John Mark, but if you ever had the chance, you realize that this guy, he, you know, he's probably a young adult, probably in his prime, doesn't have too many, uh, you know, debts or responsibilities or things at home that, that need to tie him down. So he's, he's just unleashed. And, and so, so he's thinking, hey, I got to go with these guys, Barnabas and Saul. Can I come? Can I come? And in chapter 13, we have a picture of the church in Antioch actually setting apart Saul and Barnabas to go on a missionary tour. Now notice, in, uh, I think it's in chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. Let's, let's begin there. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And notice this, they also had who? John, who is known as Mark, as their assistant. Okay. So here, Barnabas, who parakaleoed Saul, is now giving Saul a chance to parakaleo someone else. Do you notice the multiplication that happens here? This is the method of the church, all right? This is, we're starting to see the unsung secret of the early church. It wasn't just the occasional sermon, da -da -da, okay? It was the life on life, person to person. Let me invest in you and you'll invest in someone else. And so they go. 
in Cyprus, this little island, okay, they run into some serious ministry challenges. There's some, there's, like, like Joe was saying, this wasn't just flesh and blood going on. This was a warfare between principalities and powers. And in fact, Paul has to, has to be pretty forthright, and he actually uh, curses a sorcerer and curses him with blindness. Now, if you're a young adult and you've never seen anything like this, you're thinking to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Because what we see here in the, the rest of the chapter, as they move from Cyprus, they go to Pisidia and to Paphos. Now notice with me, I believe it's in chapter 13, verse 13. Let's start there. Chapter 13, verse 13. It says this, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Do you see what just happened? Young adult, all gung-ho, let me see what's going on. Sees a lot of what's going on and says, I want my mommy's cooking. Okay? <laughs> he wants to go back home. He says, maybe this isn't the time. Maybe I... Uh, and so he jets. Okay? He goes back to Jerusalem. Paul, I'm sorry, Saul at this time, Saul and Barnabas, they continue with their missionary journey. They go and they go and they go. In fact, they come back with much to report. In Acts chapter 15, they're telling stories about how great God has, you know, the great things God has done. But then in chapter 15, Barnabas has this great idea. Go ahead and turn the page. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Are you there? All right, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Hope you're okay. We're just kind of painting the picture of these, these little snippets of Barnabas and Saul's life. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it says this. Then after some days, Paul, okay, so now he's going by Paul. Paul said to Barnabas, let's now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Do you see... Like Barnabas, he started it all, okay? Barnabas said, hey, let me invest in your life, all right? And let's stay a whole year in a place and really just turn this place upside down. Now Paul isn't just interested in being that evangelist that just comes and goes. Paul and his ministry, it's marked by him investing himself in people. And now he wants to go back and see how the brethren are doing. The unsung secret of the early church, it's life on life. Now notice, notice what happens. Verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined, that's what my Bible says. Maybe yours says he wanted, he willed, or he desired. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them who? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know exactly how much time elapsed. Probably not too long, so he's probably still in his young adult years. But he's had enough time to sit at home and think about what he's seen and witnessed and whether or not he wants to go back and see and witness it. But Barnabas, in his mind, he's determined. He's resolute. He's resolved. He's planned and purposed this. Okay, let's give him another shot. Verse 38. But Paul. Dun, dun, dun. All right. But Paul insisted that they should not Take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. I don't know what kind of tone of voice you want to read that with. <laughs> Come on, he failed us once. He's going to do it again. Why should we invest in him still? Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp. The contention became so sharp. It was cutting that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took who? Mark. And sailed to where? Which is exactly where he had gone before. Barnabas took him over the same ground in which he failed and wanted to walk with him through that rough ground again. Wow. To be a son of encouragement is a persevering work. <laughs> it 
It's not just a one-time, hey, let me just see how it goes. Let me take my chances. No, 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 no. Barnabas was resolute. He was determined in it. Did it pay off? Uh, Did it pay off? I believe so. I believe so. You know, it, it didn't pay off in the relationship between Barnabas and Paul, at least not in the book of Acts. We don't see any resolution. We don't see any reconciliation. Did these guys ever get back together? I mean, they were a pretty dynamic duo, wouldn't you say? But as a result of this, it wasn't just one missionary team that went out, it was two. Somewhere, somehow, God actually used this sharp contention to multiply the work. Now, go with me to 2 Timothy. You're thinking to yourself, what? <laughs> well, where is this leading? 2 Timothy. Sometimes I've wondered, I've wondered, what, what, how, would things have been different had they stayed together? 2 Timothy, if you remember how to find the T's, there's the New Testament T zone. All the T books are clumped together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. All right, whoa. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me read this in verse 9 and 10. Do you know who's writing this letter to Timothy? Paul is, right? Now, in relation to Paul, Timothy is actually his spiritual son. Timothy is another one that Paul has invested in. I mean, this is, this is the story of the New Testament. Let me multiply myself in you. Let me reproduce myself in you. Let me walk with you. And so Paul is now writing to Timothy. This is near the end of his, his ministry, near the end of his life, essentially. Paul is in prison, and he is feeling the need for some company. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9 be diligent to come to me quickly. He's telling Timothy, hey, 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 I need some company. Brother, it's lonely up in here. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. He goes on and on. It's kind of like a country song. It's kind of broken record. Whoa, whoa, whoa is me. You know. <laughs> sorry, sorry for those of you who like country. The next verse says this, Only Luke is with me. Now catch this. Get who? This is Paul we're talking about. Paul who said, Barnabas, what are you talking about? That kid? He'd rather... Verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? For he is useful to me for ministry. Wow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So somewhere along the line, Barnabas, Parakaleo's Mark, says, come on, we can do this, bud. We can do this. Now, if you do a little bit further study, Barnabas and Mark were actually cousins. So Barnabas had a familial interest in this guy. He didn't want to see him fall off the wayside. So he took him over the ground that he had previously stumbled. And somehow, some way, because of Barnabas' investment, life-on-life ministry, Mark becomes so fired up that he's the first one to write a gospel of Jesus Christ. He was the first one. The others, Matthew and Luke, they really took notes and said, oh, okay, this is, this is a good idea. <laughs> and they, they set their gospel accounts as well. And so Barnabas' life-on-life ministry turned Mark's experience around in such a way that one who ran the other way is now useful to the ultimate apostle. (laughs) He's useful to Paul for ministry. Now notice, notice, just kind of put all this stuff together. Here's a gentleman doesn't have an official title, you know, doesn't have an official office. He's just someone who wants to give everything to the cause of God. He's consecrated. He's surrendered. And he's known for being someone who saddles up next to people and says, come along, let's walk this journey together. And because of that, someone he invests in turns into the apostle to the Gentiles, and the rest of the world has a chance to be in on the gospel. Because of his life-on-life ministry, some young kid who thinks he's good for nothing, who Paul thinks is good for nothing, 
some young kid has a second chance and says, look, I, can, I don't have to repeat the mistakes of the past. Just because I'm young, just because I've run, doesn't disqualify me from the work of God. And now we have Mark, the Gospel of Mark, which I would say is one of my, okay, it's my favorite gospel. And, and now we have the whole New Testament that was written by Paul. Okay, so here's the unsung hero, Barnabas, and it's the unsung secret, life on life. Here's the thing. A lot of times we think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, at least for me, maybe, this is, maybe I'm alone in this, but a lot of times I think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and I think of Peter standing up and boldly proclaiming the word. And 3,000 souls are added in one day. And yes, that was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you agree? But here's the thing. Oftentimes I only think of that when I think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what that results in? That results in saying, Power in ministry, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's for a select few on select occasions. But the story of the book of Acts is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is lived out, life on life, every day as I parakaleo you, as you parakaleo me, and we walk this road together. Life on life. Now, what does it take? <laughs> what does it take to be a Barnabas? What does it take to be a son or a daughter of encouragement? Now, before I even get there, let me just address something. Maybe there's some of us who aren't asking the question, what does it take to be a Barnabas? Maybe some of us are asking the question, man, how did Mark ever muster up the courage to go again? <laughs> maybe some of us are actually in the shoes of Mark, and maybe you feel like you're not useful to God in ministry. Maybe you feel like you've made some serious blunders, repeated blunders, and you're wondering if you could ever, ever, with that track record, do anything for God. Let me tell you, Mark, <laughs> Mark's story can be repeated in yours. You may not have someone right now who's saying, hey, let me be your Barnabas, but I, let me tell you something. Perikaleo, you know, the son of encouragement, Parakaleo is actually used in the New Testament in John chapter 14 and 16. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, he's saying the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one who is parakaleoing you and me. So maybe we don't have a Barnabas who has taken us under wing, and maybe we feel down and out because I don't know if I can walk over that ground again. Maybe I'm not very useful in ministry. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit is calling you alongside and saying, let me walk with you. So maybe you don't have a Barnabas in the flesh yet, but the Holy Spirit is right there with you, okay? Now, back to the question. What can we do to be a church of Barnabas? <laughs> what can we, did you catch that? Barnabas, that's plural of Barnabas. Okay, anyway. What can we do to experience the unsung secret of the early church in the life of the Parkwood Church? What does it take to be a Barnabas? I would say this. First, it takes consecration. Okay? Remember, the first picture that we saw of Barnabas, he, he, he didn't care what was his and what wasn't. He just wanted to bless. So he was totally surrendered to the cause. Nothing of self. Self was hidden. Self was, I would say, crucified. So consecration, complete surrender to the cause. Number two, I would say determination. Do you remember in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. Determined, resolute. Nothing would shake him from that purpose. So we've got to have the courage to be Barnabas. Now, let me break that down a little bit. Determined to do what? Because we can be determined about a lot of things, right? And that, that can either be stubborn and hard-headed, or that can be resulting in results for the kingdom of God. So determined for what? Determined for what? Let me say this. I would say it takes courage or determination to love. Determined to love. Maybe you want to write this down, maybe you don't. I've got three things here for you. Determined to love. It takes a special attitude it takes a special compassion to actually see beyond someone's mistakes and see their potential instead. 
So it takes a love to look beyond the past and see their potential. You know, um, there have been times where Debbie and I, we've opened up a special book called Adventist Home. I don't know if you guys have ever read that. It's powerful counsel for anyone who's seeking relationships with the, uh, within their home, within their family. Adventist Home, powerful book. Page 177, Ellen White talks about something very, very, uh, I don't know, it's it stuck in my memory as something for husbands and wives, but it's not just for husbands and wives. So, so I'll say it this. Page 177, Adventist Home, she says, let the father, well, oh boy, I didn't even write this down, or did I? <laughs> Here it is. The heart of the father and the heart of the mother. She's talking about the heart of the father, the heart of the lover, excuse me, the mother, and says, let your love be the graveyard for each other's faults. What a picture that is. When you relate with people, is your heart a graveyard for the other person's faults? Or is it something that just mirrors it back and shouts it out and says, whoa, whoa, this is what's going on in you. Is it a graveyard? Is you, it, it takes courage to love like that. Because when we see mistakes in others, the natural tendency is to exploit them so that no one can see our own. And that's ugly. That's not, that's not love. So that's, that's, that's applicable in the home, but it's especially applicable in our attempts to be Barnabai for each other. Okay? It takes determination to love, to be graveyards for each other's faults. Okay? So determination to love, determination to believe. Determination to believe that yes, they can or maybe I should say, yes, God can. You're thinking about an individual and you think to yourself, well, I just don't see that they have what it takes. That's the natural tendency. Like we have these criteria in our mind and we say, oh, they don't quite measure up, but in the eyes of God, anything is possible to him who believes. Whoa, 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 let me say that again. <laughs> in the eyes of God, anything is possible to him or her who believes. John Mark had a poor track record, didn't think he could do it. Barnabas, well, Paul was in agreement with John Mark. And Barnabas says, no, 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 no. I've got determination, I've got courage to believe that God is able to do something else. And so, in Desire of Ages, page 250 to 251, let me just read this, okay? Uh, hopefully this will fire us up about this. It says this, there is no limit to the usefulness of one. Wow. Okay? There is no limit to the usefulness of one. Here's the condition. Who, by putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. In other words, when you give yourself to God, he's able to do above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine. No limit. No limit. Yet when we look at each other, we see limits. <laughs> so it takes determination, courage to believe that God is able to do that above and beyond. Notice the rest of the quote. If men in humble life were encouraged to do all the good they could do. If women in humble life were encouraged to do all the good they could do. If restraining hands were not laid upon them to repress their zeal. There would be a hundred workers for Christ where now there is one. Wow. So if we took that stance of Paul and said, no, 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 no. We're not going to take him with us. Come on. He departed from us. Look, that worker, that worker is now lost, okay? And if we persist in that attitude, there could be hundreds of workers where there now is only one. What? I don't know if, maybe, here, let me just tell you why this is so important to me. <laughs> because ministry is not something to be hired out. And that's coming from someone <laughs> upon whom it's often hired out. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not uh, um, you know, indicting this church family for just saying, no, you do the ministry. No, 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 no. And that's just the expectation. That's the general expectation. Look, we've, we've got paid clergy. They do it. We watch. We support, etc. But no, 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 no. That wasn't the secret. That wasn't the life and blood of the early church. And I don't believe that ought to be the life and blood of the Parkwood Church. Amen? And so that's why it's important to me, number one. But number two, there are thousands of souls that are wistfully looking to heaven and they're looking for a Barnabas to come to their side. And I can't do it by myself. 
And I'm not, I'm not saying, please don't, don't hear me wrong, but here's the point. There are souls that only you can reach that I could never reach. There's no limit to the usefulness of one. So it takes courage to love, courage to believe, and I would say this, courage to connect. Courage to connect. You know just as well as I do that sometimes our natural default is just to, I'll say it, to be shy. To just kind of remain in our own bubbles because we've learned in the world that uh, people don't want to be imposed upon. That when we walk past each other in the grocery store, we just keep looking at the ground. You know? Yet there's a heart there that is probably broken and beat up by sin and needs an encouragement. Needs a word in season. And so in our, in our common culture, we, we've learned to just kind of keep to ourselves and stay to ourselves. Maybe it's a Western thing. You know, I'll do it my way, whatever. You know, it's the American way, etc., etc. But the reality is that we need to connect. Yeah, I realize that, that some of us may have a hard time actually introducing ourselves to each other. Some of us may even have a hard time just like holding conversation over the potluck line, you know? And that's okay. That's okay. But, but if we just avoid that, that opportunity, then we'll never grow in that opportunity. What if there's an opportunity to actually call someone alongside in that potluck line? <laughs> Maybe it's not potluck. Maybe it's your Sabbath school. Maybe it's not Sabbath school. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's not your small group. Maybe it's over the fence. Hey, neighbor. Amen. <laughs> Maybe it's prayer meeting. Whatever it might be. And so here we are. We have the chance to be paracletes. We have the chance to be Barnabas. We have the chance to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but to encourage one another. Actually, let's go to that text. That'll be our closer. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews is towards the end. If you've gotten to James, you've gone too far. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The Bible says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I like that. Consider one another. Pay attention. There's someone sitting in your pew that hasn't even been said hi to this morning. Consider one another. Consider one another in order to, my Bible says, stir up. What does your Bible say? Provoke, okay? Spur on. To help, okay, okay. Now these words, provoke, that, that's a little edgy. <laughs> Spur on. That's, that's even more edgy. Spurs. Horse. Okay. Do you know what? That word is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 15, where their contention was so sharp that it split Barnabas and Paul. Now, some people argue whether or not Paul actually wrote the letter to the Hebrews. I believe this, was, this is one of the evidences in my mind that says Paul had to be the one because he remembered a time when he was spurred. He remembered a time when he was provoked to good works, but he refused it. And he says, no, 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 guys. We've got to consider one another so we can provoke each other to good works. <laughs> We've got to consider one another so we can spur each other on, even when we don't want to believe in someone, even when... Even when everybody else says that's, that's a high risk, don't even try it, investment gone, okay? Paul says, no, 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 we've got to persist. We've got to persist. And notice, it says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We've got to have the courage to connect, to actually be together. We can't forsake these opportunities. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. That's parakaleo. Calling each other to one side. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
This is a verse for Adventists. <laughs> As you're looking forward to the second coming, don't get so lost in the heavenly sight that you forget your brothers and sisters who are in need of a paraclete. Oh, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Life on life. So is this going to be it? I mean, is, are we going to take this on? Yes or no? Amen. Praise the Lord. If you want to be a Barnabas today, would you please just stand to your feet and say, yes, I'll have that resolution. I'll have that courage. Amen. Amen. Now, okay, some of us, some of us are standing and we know ourselves that we need a Barnabas to stand next to us too. Some of us are still sitting and if you're sitting, look around at who's standing (laughs) And call out to them if they're not calling out to you. Please come by my side. Today, let's pray and bow our heads. Father, this is our desire. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just on occasion here and there, but every day as we interact with one another. God, we want to know what it's like for your life to be reproduced in our life so that we can reproduce our lives in others. Lord, this is the desire of the Parkwood Church. Please, God, fulfill this desire, because it is your will. We can have confidence as we're praying this, God, that this is going to become reality. This is not just wishful thinking, Father. This is our desire. This is our commitment. We want the courage to love, to believe, to connect. So please use us today. Bless our conversation as we go here on out, whether in the potluck line or not, in the prayer room or not, wherever we are, may we be sensitive to how we can paracaleo others to our side. In Jesus' precious name, let everyone say, amen. 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 You may be seated.